Muffin Talk. Muffin Talk is a weekly radio program to which I invite guests to talk about their work and their passion for issues on community programs, social justice, Bible studies, the Catholic Church, or interfaith relations. My interviews are done in the studio of Planet FM or via Zoom. Our topic today is the relationship between faith and the commitment to climate action. My guest is Harvey Lifshitz, a member of the Wellington Interfaith Council. And he's also representative of the Jewish community on the Wellington Interfaith Council. Harvey is originally from South Africa, where he had a furniture manufacturing workshop working with recycled wood. And Harvey is today connected to the Climate Change Advisory Group, which was set up by the Religious Diversity Center in 2021. So since uh, Harvey lives in Wellington, he has started a business with recycling bicycle parts. Harvey, um, let us start with South Africa. So you mentioned that we, I mentioned that you had a furniture manufacturing workshop working with recycled wood. Can you tell us more about this idea and how it worked? Well, we primarily work with um, African timbers. Um, and as we all know, the, the biodiversity is, is diminishing in Africa. Um, a lot of the trees are being cut out to make way for cities and, and people still exploit it like there's no end to it. Um, and because we wanted to do that, we found that the best way to do it was to work with railway sleepers. Uh, which, contrary to popular belief, even in South Africa, are not all made out of jarrah. In fact, they used jarrah for the very beginning of the railways, but once they got going, they just chopped down the local forest and used the wood. So there's a huge diversity of timber. Um, we work with over 50 different types of timber. And what kind of furniture did you make out of it? So you you took the recycled furniture. Were you so was it? Did you just see the wood there not being used, and then you thought, oh, I can make some furniture out of it? Or how did it come? Um, the the wood is definitely being used. It was quite a hard competition to see who would get the railway sleepers. Um, but a lot of the railway sleeper furniture was what we used to call Fred Flintstone furniture. So it was big and heavy and made with whatever they could do by cutting the railway sleepers in a simple way. Yes. Um, We used to get them made into planks. Um, We would then um, finish them and use them like ordinary timber. And and so how many people started to work on that when when you started with your business? So I started my business with myself and one helper who was rescued from a uh, a business that went into liquidation. Um, And him and I worked till the very last day. He actually helped me pack the container with all our stuff in it. And we would have 
We tried working with men that didn't work out. They were bit un- more than a bit unreliable. Mm. So we worked with women. And um, the, the numbers would fluctuate according to what jobs we had in hand. So mostly there'd be three of us in the workshop and occasionally there'd be four or five. Mm-hmm. So what kind of furniture did you make? Tables and, uh, and cupboards? Or... So we, we made almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all bespoke furniture for the upper end of the market. So I would go into somebody's home, sit down with them, talk to them, see what they've got, um, sketch furniture that I thought would fit in with what they have. So if they wanted a table, I'd make it fit in with what they have. And um, so what what did the people say about uh, recycled furniture? But Were they happy for this uh, idea? Or did they say, oh, um, we want a blue furniture? So railway sleeper furniture is not unusual in South Africa. Um, the way we used it was different, so it was a bit unusual. Um, very often pine, um, Oregon pine or oak furniture, uh, that's American oak, would be very popular. It was in vogue. Um, and we talk people out of it and into using natural African timber. Mm-hmm. So you started this recycling idea in South Africa and then you came to New Zealand and you continued with the recycling? Um, I've done a whole host of jobs in in New Zealand. Um, When I came to Wellington, part of the Wellington Interfaith Council, I used to sit down with my Sikh friend, Manjit. We discussed various harebrained schemes for helping to house the homeless people in Wellington. And then when COVID happened, um, the, they got housed. And so we didn't have the housing problem anymore. And I was surfing the net. There's not much else to do when you're locked out. Yes. Um, and I was reading that in Europe, there's half a billion tires a year going into the tips. And if you knock that down to New Zealand numbers, um, that's a um, it's not unusual to see belts made out of bicycle tires. I thought that's a good idea. And then I thought, hey, what about those homeless people we were talking about? Why don't we get them involved? Um, so when we came out of lockdown, that's exactly what we did. Um, the Sikhs put in a seed fund through the umbrella Indian organization called ECTA. Um, with the help of the Salvation Army, um, we started working. And that was in 2020, and um, we're just going since then. So, so you're recycling bicycle parts. So we we started with tires. We did a little bit of work with tubes, um, and then we landed up with so many bicycle tire belts. <clears throat> we're running out of place to keep them. So what we did was we. Um, diverse into making jewellery and um, we now have a, a bunch of women and some guys that come in, they sit down, they make jewellery and everything they make, they get a part of the profit. So belts and dog collars, they get paid for up front. Um, jewellery, the deal is they make the jewellery, they help me sell it at the markets and then they get the money from that. 
So you're doing something for climate, uh, for for uh, mitigating climate change. You're recycling. You're creating jobs, and you're creating a living. Is that right? Well, the, we don't create jobs, and we don't create a living because there's none of them make enough money to do that, um, and I don't think they'd want to. Um, but we certainly, a point of pride amongst the people that I work with is that they're helping to keep the stuff out of the tip and they're giving something back to society. Yeah. And uh, have um, have other people from other areas also come to you and say, well, we'd like to know more about it? Um, not yet. We're not well known enough yet. Um, well, one of our biggest program. downfalls is our marketing. <laughs> Well, from your lip to God's ears. Um, well, I'm, I'm busy developing our own custom belt buckle at the moment, which will have our logo on it, and then we'll get back into manufacturing those. If I could sell that to capacity, um, we'd go from strength to strength, and we'd certainly be able to go to different centers. Yeah. And, and tell me, how did you come to a bicycle? Are you a bicycle rider? I'm, I'm a keen cyclist. Um, I've, I've always, I haven't always ridden a bicycle. My stepfather refused to let me ride a bicycle when I was a kid. I think mainly because he didn't want to phone up my dad and say, hey, Herman, your son's underneath a motor car. So to solve that problem, I wasn't allowed to ride a bicycle. When I turned 21, I took the money from my birthday present, went and bought a bicycle, and I haven't been off it since. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Are you also going on organized bicycle rides? Um, we have a small group that I'm part of. Um, but I enjoy my own company, so it gives me a chance to escape into my own mind for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and I really enjoy bicycle touring. Yeah. And, and that's another another way how you're um, doing something for the environment. You are doing your um, excursions on bicycle rather than by car. Well, I think of it as doing something for myself, not the environment. It seems like you, you are always keen to, uh, to do many things at the same time. You're doing something for, for the environment, for yourself, for, for the bicycles, and you see the practical side. So you're a very practical person, aren't you? The firm, you know, I do a lot of stuff with, with other people benefit. And I'm a firm believer that nobody ever does that unless you get something out of it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with the marginalized people of Wellington, they, a fun crowd, they're unencumbered. They're a fun crowd, they accept you as you are. Um, and I enjoy working with them. I wouldn't like to. I don't think I'd be able to work with them every day, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Do you think that you also have the, the chance to inspire them by telling them about value in things that other people are throwing away? Um, I don't think that I inspire them. I think they're inspired by the idea. Yeah. Because that could be something that um, will trigger new ideas. If people see, oh, you can reuse something, even though you, you can't use it for the original purpose anymore, but you can recycle and do something completely new. Yeah, I think undoubtedly um, some of the people that work with me enjoy it because it gives them a chance to be creative with no expectations on it. 
Yes. The other day when I interviewed uh, Dr. Paul Blaschke, he was talking about the Jewish concept of tikkun olam. Is that something that is also very close to your heart? But the two Jewish aspects to this, the first is tikkun olam, which is repairing of the world. So we do that in two ways, which are quite obvious. The one is by saving the environment, the little bit that we do. And the other one is by helping people to, to have dignity and to be aware of themselves. Um, the other one is the concept of tzedakah, which is often translated as charity. Um, but the word does not mean charity. It means justice. Uh, more accurately, it means social justice. And our great medieval um, rabbi, Maimonides, he had seven levels of tzedakah, of charity, if you like. Starting off with, um, you walk past a beggar in the street and you give him a dollar, you look into his eye, he looks into your eye and you give him it, and there's a certain amount of gratification on both sides. Um, and it works its way up the ladder till eventually you help somebody to help themselves. You give them a loan or you partner them in a business and, and that's what we're doing. Um, we, the people that work with me, um, are part of the business. Um, it's, it's a social enterprise. This is not my business. It's a social enterprise. And we try our level best to give them an ownership in it. Um, in fact, a uh, great point of pride with us is that right now there's a workshop being run and I'm not there at all. So you have taught them something and they have continued to, to do the work by themselves. So you've just helped them for the... Um... Um, yeah, so the, the, the work, the physical work of putting the stuff together, that's a no-brainer. But being able to sit down and actually organize the group and get the stuff out, um, that's another level. And, and that's where some of them are at the moment. And you mentioned that you started this initiative together with a Sikh friend. Yes. Tell us more about this experience. <laughs> so the two of us would sit down for a coffee at least once a week, sometimes more, and we'd have all these harebrained discussions about what we can do and where's the land and how we can build cheap housing for the homeless. Um, and then after lockdown, um, in fact, it was my birthday, and I, said, I had a lunch with him. He didn't know it was my birthday. We had the lunch, and I told him about the business, And he says, well, you need some money. And I said, Manjit, I've started businesses. I don't need money. He says, you can't start it without money. And so he, he found the seed fund for us. So he found the money and you had the idea. And together then you were, we were doing the planning at, uh, with the lunch. Yes, that's right. And then t tell us more about uh, how it evolved. Um, so then the, the problem is, so you know, now the money problem is solved. Um, the, the next two problems that we had, the first one was we need somewhere to be able to do this. Um, the other thing is you need the people to do it. Um, it. It's one thing walking past people that are begging and seeing them. It's another thing to get them to come to a particular place and do something. Um, and St. Peter's Church on the corner of uh, Willis and Gusney Street, 
Um, the secretary there, I got chatting to her and I told her what we want to do and asked her, you know, how should we, you know, do anybody or what can we do? She said, you've got to meet Joe. I said, okay, I'll meet Joe. How do I get hold of him? No, I'll get him to phone you. So it took a while, but eventually Joe and I got together. Joe is the Salvation Army pastor for the homeless people in Wellington. And Joe and I got together, explained to him what I want to do, and he just said, this is a fantastic idea. And he found us a place, actually the band room in the, the headquarters of Salvation Army in Wellington. And he obviously he knows the people, so we'd have six, seven, eight people every Wednesday come around and make belts. And that's how we started. And then he he was going on holiday, put us in touch with St. Peter's Church, who give us access to the undercroft um, once a week. So it seems like it's a real interfaith event, initiative because you have Sikh and Judaism and you have uh, the Christians involved and all working together to to do some positive changes for society. Um, yeah, uh, we work out of St. Peter's. Uh, what, what makes St. Peter's different to all the other churches I've ever seen in my life is that um, if you go into St. Peter's, the Sikhs and the Jews have a key to the place. So, <laughs> not, not, on, not only that, in lockdown, the Sikhs and the Jews could be seen handing out um, food parcels to the Muslims at oh, the church. Wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, so, um, yes, so it's a, it's a great experience. And tell us, how, how did you um, motivate then the people, the homeless people? Did they come anyways and you gave a talk or did you talk to them personally and ask them, do you have any skills or can you learn this or something? Um, with the belts, it's, they'd come in, they'd sit down, I'd give them a tire, I'd give them a pair of scissors, I'd say, this is how you do it. Call me when you've done that and I'll show you the next step. Um, until there are a few of them knew what they do, then they help each other. Um, with the jewellery, it's a little bit different. Um, so here's the stuff. This is a few of the things I made. Do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think that attracts them the most is that there are no expectations. Mm -hmm. So they come to us, there's absolutely no expectation on them. They can sit down and talk to us and drink tea and have biscuits with us the whole afternoon. And if they don't want to make anything, that's fine. Um, and there are a few of them like that. And some of them will come in and fiddle and faff and make a few things or make something half and then come back and finish it a few weeks later. Um, there's no expectations. Um, but if, if they would like to make something if they want the money, uh, they do make. That's good. So so you give them the option and they can take it or leave it in a way. Absolutely. Um, you know, pe people sometimes ask me, well, you know, does it lead on to work and that? Um, we've had, I've had two of the guys go in and get jobs, but I don't think that we're the catalyst for that. Um, but we have had a few people go in and get jobs. Um, I used to run all the markets up to November last year. 
And then I suddenly found I had two markets on in the one day and even Jews can't divide themselves into two. So, (laughs) So I had two of them put up a hand and say, hey, we'll run the market. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and that's a big turning point. So now I go, um, Saturday we have a market in the hut. <clears throat> um, I'll go along with some of them packed into my wife's car. We'll set it all up. We'll get it going. And I'll say, good luck, goodbye, and I'll go for a walk. And they run the market. And that's a really nice place to be. Yeah, but I think what what you're providing to the homeless people is also some pride in what they are doing. And I think that um, even if it doesn't provide jobs uh, directly, but by uh, providing them some kind of self-esteem, I think that it would be easier for them to apply out of a situation where they say, look, I've done this and this recently, you know. Um, So I do think that it definitely has a huge impact. Oh, so I think you've hit the nail on the head. It does give them a sense of pride and a sense of dignity, doing something and belonging to something. Mm. Um, another very important part of our business is if you go into our website, um, you'll see that we have all the usual things. We've got a home and a bout and a shop, but we have a section called Alfano. And if you go in there, you can and you have a look at your jewellery or your belt, you'll see a maker's name on it, and you can go into our whānau, and you can see a picture of the person that made it and read a little bit about them. Okay, okay it's, it's roadworn.co.nz. Thank you, Harvey, and I'll put it on the website so that people can click on, on this link. And, um, yes, thank you very much for this interview. And, um, You're welcome. And I'll just want to give a few inform a little bit of information of what's coming up uh, with Titi Paunamo. And uh, so the next event will be next Friday, 25th of March, from three o'clock to four o'clock in the afternoon. And this is an event with Letitia Putembadat. She will lead us into an hour of prayer and guided contemplation according to the Ignatian tradition. And in April, we'll have two sessions on the women in the scriptures and in mythology. On the 20th of April, Brother Karen Finn will introduce us to three women in the Bible. And on the 29th of April, Dr. Christopher Longhurst will show us examples of Michelangelo's fascinating paintings of the women and three women of the Greek mythology. All our sessions at the moment are held on Zoom, so we don't depend on any respective alert levels. For more information and registration, please see my website at www.studyjoy.nz or send an email to info at studyjoy.nz Keep safe and thank you Harvey for this interview. You're welcome. Thank you. In the bonds of love we meet For the world a new day dawning and
darkness 